This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. Apparently, St. Mary's was scary, James. How are you feeling after a 2-1 loss to Southampton? Well, it's now just under 24 hours post-match. Yesterday at around noon, I was about ready to take a bath with my toaster. Um, <laughs> it was. It's hard to think of a performance that was worse than that one this season. It was uh, absolutely atrocious. Early on in the game, I thought we had some decent moments, but there was never, there was never really any kind of belief or togetherness about the team. And then when we went down off of fantastic James Ward-Prowse strike, there was no hope from me that we were going to ever come back and win. How are you feeling, Alex? I'm feeling pretty much the same. It's good that we gave it 24 hours or so to breathe because it allows you to kind of collect your thoughts. But for me, it came down to not too much belief, but I think that the issue really comes down to Marco Silva, and I don't think that he selected the personnel right for the job yesterday, and I also don't think that he set up the system correctly. Yeah, so I know that you mentioned in our pre-match episode that you would like to have seen Calvert-Lewin up top. What other changes, what do you think he got wrong today, or yesterday rather? I think it really just comes down to your forward play, right? That was That was my main point was can Everton deal with three center backs? Because we've seen them have such issues all season against three center backs and then a midfield that's kind of stacked in terms of bodies. And we saw that exa- that that right there yesterday. We saw the midfield couldn't really string passes because they were having a hard time finding space to do so. And then when you have when you have the the Southampton wingbacks spread across the midfield out wide, then it doesn't give Dean or Coleman any space to run, which is our number one priority when we're building up, right? Our build-up play is literally Keen or Zuma passing it left or right. So what happens is we got drowned out of midfield, so we resulted to a lot of long balls, which is fine, but not when you have Richarlison up top. You needed Calvert-Lewin up top. We knew that Richarlison couldn't deal with three center backs. Most of the time, he can't deal with two center backs. We lawed the ball up front because we couldn't string passes together, and Richarlison lost every ball in the air, essentially. And that was just, that right there is the downfall. It just comes down to tactics. So Calvert-Lewin really, I think that if you started Calvert-Lewin, we at least would have had a better chance, you know? And I understand he wants to get our best players on the pitch, right? You can't play Bernard and Richarlison and Sigurdsson all in the same team if one of them is not a striker, right? Because Bernard and Sigurdsson overlap at at central midfield, or attacking midfield, Richarlison and Bernard overlap at left midfield, and that leaves Richarlison up top. But it just, at the end of the day, your system is more important than your personnel sometimes. And and playing against three center backs, that's the case. What do you think, James? Yeah, as soon as I saw the Southampton were going with a five-man midfield, it was a massive red flag. I called for the same lineup in our pre-match episode as the team that won at Bournemouth. However, going against that five-man midfield, we're just, the numbers aren't there. We're completely outmatched, and then they're disrupting all our passing lanes. There's no fluid transition. There's no 
way for Andre Gomez to link up with our forwards. The tactical setup aside, Richarlison up top, the more we see of it, the clearer it becomes that that's just not his game. Back to goal, he's virtually useless in the air. Never going to win anything against any center backs in the Premier League. So I think in hindsight, Calvert-Lewin was probably the right choice. But tactics aside, there has to be, and Marco Silva said it in his post-match, the desire in the team just isn't there. And I think that, above any kind of tactical shortcomings, is what's the biggest red flag because it starts to make you question what we've been doing. How has this happened? And for me, it becomes the convenient thing to say since the Derby loss that our form has capitulated and we've fallen off. And that is factually just looking at our run of form, correct. But I don't think, it just seems so outrageous to me that you can attribute a fluke 96th minute goal having played 95 minutes by all accounts very, very well and deserving of a point. And then that small thing somehow just makes you the whole team just lose their heads for weeks, for a month. Like you're a professional player. You need to be more mentally strong than that. And of course, we're sitting here recording on microphones and we don't have to go out there and play, but we're not the ones getting paid millions to do it. And some of that falls on the players. Some of it falls on Marco Silva for not having the ability to reinvigorate the squad and and get them back to playing their best soccer. But it is an absolutely abysmal run of form. And I just, I don't know where where it's come from because we were playing so well and it's the same team there's not that many changes being made a couple players being shuffled around and Andre Gomez one of his worst games he's fallen off a cliff still think he's a great player Jordan Pickford finally I actually thought he had an okay game besides that freak Dean own goal James Ward Prowse's goal was really just an outstanding strike not much we could do and so that the players and the manager have to accept responsibility and look inward and and think, how do we turn this around? And I don't. There's no easy answer. But again, that's not my job to figure it out. I just want to enjoy watching Everton again. That's all I want. Right. I was talking about how I had a stressful week. I was excited to finally sit down, watch the team perform. You know, we were on the back of two wins, an FA Cup or an FA Cup win and a league win against Bournemouth, and so I was ready to go. But to your point about the Liverpool loss, I don't think that that's the case. I really don't think that has anything to do with it. I think part of it has to do with the large amount of fixtures. I think part of it has to do with the strength of the opponent that came quickly and in succession over that period. This mental strength team mentality has been a topic of conversation for like three years now, right? Every single time It's been, no matter which of the four managers you're talking about, it's, you know, when we go down, it's always essentially partial just capitulation in terms of giving up. It's always a slow start. So you kind of have to wonder, like, what's going to change? Now, here's what I will say. I saw saw a pretty good comment on Reddit that was talking about, you know, a, a a big majority of fans are starting to blame Marco Silva. But here's what this one said, essentially, right? This season, Marco Silva brought in, I believe, five players, okay? All of those five players have been among our best players every single match and most consistent, right? You're talking about Luca Dean, Kurt Zuma, 
fantastic players. Andre Gomez, he's had a dip in form, but he's still performed better than a lot of others. Bernard's been doing pretty well as well. And then naturally, Richarlison, joint top scorer with Sigurdsson. Furthermore, he's gotten Sigurdsson to play his best football in a good while. I think he's on nine league goals now and then six or seven assists. So that's that can't be denied. And people are talking about Sigurdsson's form. That's fine. But at the end of the day, he's still performing at a macro level. And so you, if you if you really step back and look at all those components, then Marco Silva brought in the players that he wanted. Those players, for the most part, are adapting quicker than a lot of people could have hoped, right? Bernard's performing much better than he was, you know, after a, cu- a couple weeks after the Leicester match. So then you really just got to think, okay, it's just going to take a little bit of time to cull the rest of the, the squad and see what happens from there. Yeah, there is no, there's never going to be an immediate fix for the rampant mismanagement of Steve Walsh and Ronald Koeman. And even you could argue um, under Roberto Martinez, some of the signings that he made that are still hampering us. That being said, and you're right, the players that Marco Silva and Marcel Brands, which I think Marcel Brands honestly deserves more of the credit than Marco Silva. I think if Marcel Brands is the guy pulling all the strings and Marco Silva is the guy in charge of the first team, they're, of course, working together, but I think it's Marcel Brands who really has the final say in, in these types of things. We're still spending, we're third in the net spend table over the last few years, and what do we have to show for it? There's really nothing, and nothing, you need that managerial consistency, and I'm nowhere near saying we need to sack Marco Silva, but I am firmly in the camp that we need to start asking serious questions, and I don't think that that's unfair because his record in, at previous clubs, we're starting to see you know, the shift in that he's notorious for having form drop off a cliff with his teams. Are we seeing that play out? And what we saw earlier this season was maybe just the new manager bounce, an extended one, albeit, but one nonetheless. I don't know. And I, I'm not ready to say that, that that is definitive, but we're now on eight points in 10 league games. Completely unacceptable played some really poor sides, lost to some really poor sides. And there was always going to be probably a regression before there was improvement. It's just hard to take that in the face of having spent so much money to still go backwards. It's always the hope that kills, isn't it, James, for an Everton fan? So in terms of the Marco Silva out brigade, I saw a statistic that lined up the last four managers of Everton and compared them on points one after their first 23 league games. Martinez had 42 points, Ronald Koeman 37, Sam Allardyce 34, and Marco Silva 30 points. Now, I don't think that alone tells you the whole story because you have to think that Marco Silva inherited a team hampered by the issues of all of those past managers right? He's got four of his own signings, or sorry, five of his own signings, mixed in with a whole lot of signings from previous regimes. But it's not a great stat. However, you did say that you expected it to get worse before it got better. And I think that's a fair point. You just, it's hard to take into account all these different factors and look at it logically and holistically when you're an Everton fan and you get two wins in a row, you're expecting a win at St. Mary's, and then all of a sudden you get a performance like that. I think for the for a long time we've been 
trying to patch over the deficiencies in the squad, whether that be by by changing manager, signing a player here, signing a player there. It's all been very haphazard and, and all over the place and inconsistent. We've got signings still from David Moyes, from Roberto Martinez, from Ronald Koeman, and now Marco Silva has his players in. So it's, a, you know, the Frankenstein squad observation is nothing new, but I do think that it it is an important thing to consider. We were talking yesterday, we were texting about the system that Marco Silva wants to play and how he wants to to set up his team. And he has gone on record saying that he wants to play a 4-3-3. I don't think he has the personnel to play the style that he wants because we still see us setting up in the infamous 4-2-3-1, which has really never worked for us well. And yet we've stuck with it for so long because of the players that we have. There's really no other way we can set up because, you know, Gilvy Sigurdsson can't drop deep. And so you're forced to play him in an advanced attacking role. You've got Ghana, who is quintessential defensive midfielder can't really pass the ball around and then you've got Andre Gomez who is like actually the type of midfielder that we want who can move the ball around pass can also use his strength and size to defend it's just so frustrating this is being an Everton fan I guess if you're new if this is your first season rooting for Everton welcome aboard people it's a fun ride uh and for those of us who have been around for a, a longer time it just feels like we're reverting back, and we've had so many false dawns. We thought that with every new manager, we would finally be on the up and up, upwards trajectory that we've all dreamed of. But now we just, I don't know where we go. I'm fully on board. I think we need to, hopefully we can make a signing or two in January. I think that now is a is a more apparent need. And we just need, it is going to take time. But at some point, the form becomes inexcusable. It really is just going to come down to time. I'm not opposed to not signing anyone in January, but it comes down to you're going to have to start switching up personnel in terms of different positions. You're going to have to start giving some some people off the bench. Now, I will say Marco Silva's done a good job of building competition within the squad because he, he came out, he said when he first came to Everton, what he wants are two players in every position. When one drops off, the other one is ready to come in and take the starting role, right? We've seen that with Seamus and John Joe Kenny. We're seeing that now with Walcott and Lookman. We've seen that in the strikers, obviously. Now, it's clear that he's not really ready to give Calvert-Lewin the start consistently, but it's just time to start doing these things. It's time to start playing Calvert-Lewin up top, even though he's young pushing Richarlison back out left. It's time to start tinkering and say, okay, has Andre Gomez's form dropped enough to where you could drop Sigurdsson back and play Bernard at the 10? It, these questions, is is it time to finally give Kenny a run, of, for, a run of games? Because in the two matches that he played, he looked great. And then all of a sudden, Seamus Coleman comes back. So you have to start asking these questions and really use the next 15 matches to see really learn about your players and make sure that you enter the summer market ready and understanding who you're going to give a long-term shot to and who you're just not going to. Yeah, I think that that's a a really good point that you mentioned. One of the things that Sam Allardyce was, you know, ruthlessly criticized for was not doing that type of experimentation. It was naming being very rigid and set in the formations he would name the players he would name in the team 
didn't really let some of the fringe players ever have an opportunity. And that, I think, speaks to the level of expectation there is at the club at the moment, because with the money that we're throwing at the team, not us, of course, but Farrar Moshiri is throwing at the team, there's that real pressure to deliver results. And so these managers feel that pressure, and consequently, they name consistently what they think is their best lineup, whether that's the case or not. And then you don't have that freedom to experiment with lineups and give players a chance that maybe aren't your best players at the moment, but could become them. Calvert-Lewin being the perfect example, Adam Olukman finally getting a run. It, you know what I mean though? Like there's, you have to, because we got eighth under Sam Allardyce and he was fired and everyone knows why, because we played horrible, horrible, horrible soccer, brutal to watch, but he still didn't have the best squad to work with. And at least Marco Silva seemed to have tried some of those things playing attractive an attractive style that we want to see and we're still trying to do that but the execution is just absolutely abysmal so what do you do you i think you can give those players a chance but what if he knows from seeing them in training that they're not going to offer what we need and then we lose you know say we end up finishing 12th or 13th because he tries to do that and he's fired you know does he have the freedom from management from up top to take that kind of those kind of liberties with the lineup and really just say all right well we're not winning anything this season besides maybe the FA Cup which looks increasingly unlikely as every time the team steps on the pitch and we see them play do you just say all right this is just a flyer let's just send it we'll just let let the youngsters play we'll give people opportunities i don't know if you can afford to do that i think he does have the liberty to do that because they've mentioned time and time again that he is the long-term kind of appointment. Now, not in terms of brands, right? The higher brands should be here five, six, seven years and beyond. Marcus Silva, I think, and this is all speculation, but I think that he's at least given two years. The only time he's not given two full years is maybe if next January we're sitting in 18th place and there's just no there's no positive to take from it and we just have to rescue it. But at the end of the day, and we talked about this at the beginning of the season, it takes a lot of time to be able to gel in new systems also because you have to think your younger players, they might be more malleable because they haven't really played in a whole lot of systems. Now, one thing that I saw from brands that I actually really, really liked, he's talking about our youth setup and he has instructed every youth coach or manager to play the exact same system Marco Silva does. And so what that kind of entails is your younger players are going to be brought through the ranks playing the same system. And then the idea would be they can literally just focus on performing when they get up to the first team. There's no waiting period for them, you know, getting training with the first team and then having to learn and understand and execute the system and training for a month before even having the possibility of getting a spot on the, on the pitch, whether that's as a starter or a sub. So all of these improvements are long-term, have long-term outlooks. Yeah, I agree with the time thing. There's no substitute for time. And you see it with, and I tweeted about this the other day, like when Calvert-Lewin and Adam Lookman are on the pitch together or Tom Davies, the players that have played through the youth English ranks for most of their lives or most of their professional careers, at least, they have that 
inimitable chemistry that just there's nothing you can do to build that besides have the players play together for a long time. However, the team that we put on the pitch every week, while it does take time to develop into a side that can perhaps push for the top six, there's no excuse for losing the games that we've lost this season to Southampton. Now we've lost to them twice. They're in a legitimate, real, real relegation fight. We've lost to Brighton. We've lost some really, really winnable games. And so at that point, the patience, that's what causes the patience to run thin. Look, we haven't won against a top six side. It's been very, very infrequent. Away, it's been some of the droughts are before you know the turn of the century. And so those games, maybe you can have patience and maybe it will take time to develop. But with the team we have, the money we've spent, the results we're getting right now just are not good enough. Um, there's The teams that are fighting relegation are teams that we should be beating every single time or at least taking points from, and now we're not even doing that. So that's just the most frustrating thing. The time is a very real factor, but where we're at now is just not, it's just not good enough. Point blank period, in my opinion. So who do you think in a blue shirt played the best yesterday? I know that's an awful question to ask when we lose, but I still like to point out the positives. I'm going to go with Lucas Dean. Luca Dean, the man, the myth, the legend. The man that time. scored an own goal. Yeah, but that's a free goal. Like the own goal is so, such a free goal. And I think Jordan Pickford does have to take some of the blame for that because of his reaction time. Um, I believe it was Dave Downey that pointed it out on Twitter. He's like, he doesn't react to the ball moving until it's almost at the penalty spot. And it's such it's such a bizarre hit because he just like swings his foot in and it, it takes this weird diversion directly into the bottom corner and it, it just was totally unexpected but he still offers really strong defensive resilience his contribution offensively and defensively is excellent he does well at occupying the wide spaces honestly i mean it's it's a tough pick because i don't think there were really any great performers i could name six or seven that performed absolutely horribly but yeah he's going to be my pick what about you i think i'm going to go with kurt zuma and the reason why I'm going to go with Kurt, we essentially have to rule out our forwards and midfielders, right? Michael Keane, I think he had an okay match, but you could tell that Nathan Redmond was targeting him as opposed to Zuma, and that's because he could exploit the pace. And anytime Michael Keane's playing against a pacey forward, he gets roasted. Zuma, on the other hand, I think in general, he covered well, he used his pace pretty well. And so, you know, for me, when a defender or a defensive midfielder doesn't stick out, generally speaking, it means that they did what they needed to do. We've got Millwall in the FA Cup on Saturday. How crucial do you think the FA Cup is now? Obviously, everyone wants to win it, and I'm not even going to say that's not possible, but but how crucial do you think progression through the FA Cup is for Marco Silva now? I mean, it's everything this season. It's all we have left. <laughs> It's our last hope. All of those things, kind of cliches, but very true. There's been a lot of talk recently about the atmosphere at Goodison, and sometimes it feels like maybe we shouldn't talk about it because we're in America and we don't go to the game. But I will say in this regard, once we go out of the FA Cup and there's really like nothing, nothing realistic to root for, the atmosphere is going to take a turn for the worse. 
Right now, we still have that glimmering hope of the cup run, and the atmosphere is still not the greatest, and everyone's pretty frustrated. But it's really important that we advance to the point. The draw is the draw, so Millwall is a team that we need to beat with no doubt in my mind, of course, where we're at and where they're at. But the way that we looked against Lincoln City was not convincing, so it's entirely possible that something could go wrong. We could be in a dogfight. It's going to be a battle. But it's ev- it's everything. If we lose to Millwall, then I don't really want to. I don't even really want to think about the ramifications of that because, yeah, I'm not even going to go there right now because I'm frustrated enough. If we can advance to the point quarterfinal, semifinal, and we get a really tough draw, a Arsenal away or whatever, you know, one of the top six sides away, and we lose that, then so be it. But we can't. If we're getting good draws, then there's no excuses. I agree with that. That's pretty fair. And I think your assessment's good as well. Otherwise, look out for our Millwall pre-match episode sometime this week and have a fantastic rest of your weekend. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.